Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. The text for the sermon today is taken again from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, the verses 18 through 20. Hear the word of God. Paul writes, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, we come today to the third and final part of Paul's thank you note to the Philippians. You may remember that the Apostle Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and for that reason, he was not able to provide for himself. He was completely dependent on the charity of others. Aware of this, the Philippians sent a leading member of the congregation to Rome with a gift on their behalf, and his name was Epaphroditus, who was possibly the pastor or an elder of the congregation. And having received their gift, Paul, as he brings his letter to a close, expresses his thanks in an extended thank-you note. This thank-you note begins in verse 10 and ends with verse 20, and it consists of three parts. The first part extends from verses 10 to verse 13. And here the apostle expresses his joy that after a long period of time, about 10 years in fact, the Philippians' care for him had flourished again. Not because they did not care for him, but because they lacked opportunity, as he himself says. He also informs them that he was not overly preoccupied with material things, because he had learned in whatever state he was to be content. In fact, he says he was able to do all things through Christ who strengthened him. The second part of this thank you note comes in verses 14 to 17, which we considered last week. In this part, Paul commends the Philippians for sharing in his distress. And he reminds them that they had always cared for him from the first time that he preached the gospel to them, even while he was in Thessalonica. Unless they think that all he was interested in was material things, he goes on to make it clear that what he was really interested in was not their gift, but rather the fruit that would abound to their account. Now this brings us to the third and final part of this thank you note, verses 18 through 20. And it's to this part that we turn our attention today. Our theme is Paul's thank you note, part three. And we'll see that this part contains, first of all, a description of Paul's contentment, secondly, of God's acceptance, and thirdly, of the Philippians' comfort. Paul was very content with the gift that the Philippians had sent him. And he expresses that using three statements, and they're all in verse 18. First of all, he says, I have all. Now, the verb that Paul uses here is borrowed from the world of finance. The sense is, I have received in full what is due, or I am paid in full. And the implication is that by preaching the gospel to them, the Philippians were indebted to Paul. 
But by sending him this gift, their debt, he says, was paid in full. Secondly, he says, I abound. The sense is, I have more than enough. I am filled to overflowing. Think of a cup of water. When the cup is full, it overflows. And that was the case with the Apostle Paul. This gift that was sent to him by the Philippians caused him to overflow. He had received all that he needed and then some. Thirdly, Paul says, I am full. Now, the Greek verb here is a perfect passive, and that expresses a past action with continuing results. And so the sense is, I have been made full and remain so. So Paul here is declaring that when Epaphroditus delivered their gift, he was made instantly full. All of his needs were met, and they were still being met at the time of writing. Now, there's something remarkable about these words of Paul. We don't know anything about the contents of this gift from the Philippians. We don't know what the Philippians gave or how much they gave, but it was probably not very much. And I say that because, as we learned the last time, the Philippians were not very wealthy people. They were just plain, ordinary people. And consequently, their gift probably consisted of no more than a few items of clothing, a blanket or two, a small bag of coins, some medicine, and maybe some imperishable food. And yet the Apostle Paul was happy with it all. He could even say, I have all, I abound, I am full. Now how do we explain this? Was this simply pious exaggeration? Was Paul simply saying something that sounded good but did not express his true thoughts? Was he merely putting on a positive spin on his circumstances so as to make the Philippians not to be too overly worried about him? Well, that's not the case at all. Paul meant what he said. So how do we explain the language that he uses here? Well, Paul himself tells us in verses 11 to 13. There he makes this statement. He says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul learns here and expresses this, that he had learned that riches are relative. When you have nothing, even a little bit is a lot. And that's why he could say, I have all and abound. And he could say that because he had learned to be content. That's a beautiful lesson, to learn to be content, to be content with whatever the Lord has given you. And I wonder, have we learned that? Have you learned it? Or are you the type of person who always wants more and more and more? Jesus himself warns against this. One day a man came to Jesus and asked him to arbitrate between himself and his brother regarding an inheritance. But Jesus said to him, Man who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you. And then he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You see, the problem with this man was he was fixated on getting his fair share of the inheritance. Why? Because he believed that money would make him happy. But Jesus says, no. One's life does not consist in the abundance 
of the things he possesses. In other words, money, no matter how much you have, does not and cannot make you happy. The reason for that is simple. Because you'll never be satisfied with what you have. You'll always want more and more and more. Now, to reinforce this teaching, Jesus proceeds to tell the parable of the rich man. You remember the parable well, I'm sure. Jesus says that the field of a certain rich man produced a bumper crop. And the rich man thought to himself, well, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And so he came up with this great plan. He decided to tear down his existing barns and build even bigger barns, and there he would store all of his crops and goods for many years to come. And then he said to himself, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But that night God came to him and said, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And we presume that the man died and went to hell. And so Jesus says, Is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, do you see what this man's problem was? He believed that his happiness was tied to material things. And that the more material things he had, the happier he would be. But he was dreadfully wrong. For as we've seen, that night he died, and he couldn't take anything with him. Now what a warning here there is for us. Today, we live in a very consumer-driven society. The more we buy, the better the economy will be. And so our governments and advertising agencies encourage us to buy as much as possible. And to do that, they, they make the products that they sell look so amazing and so attractive. And you're made to feel like you're a fool if you don't buy them. But my friend, these are all lies. The truth is, material things cannot and will not make us happy. They only make us want more. The Apostle Paul understood that, and that's why he was content with what he had, even if it was very little. And that's why he could say, in the midst of his extreme poverty, I have all and abound. What is more, let's not forget that he had the most precious gift of all. He had Christ. And because he had Christ, he had everything. Oh, my friend, can you say the same? Are you content with what you have? In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. The writer to the Hebrews says something similar. Hebrews 13, verse 5 He writes, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, let us pay heed to the word of God today. Do not hanker after material things. They cannot, they will not satisfy. Instead, follow Paul's example and learn to be content with what you have, with what the Lord has given to you. And so the Philippians' gift had an effect on Paul. It made him feel like all of his needs had been met. But it was also highly regarded by God. And that brings us to our second point. Paul was not the only one who was well-pleased 
with the Philippians' gift. Turns out, so was God. And that's clear from verse 18, the second part. After declaring that he had all and abounded and was full, Paul goes on to say that their gift was, and I quote, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The language that Paul uses here is very interesting. It's taken from the Old Testament. It's most often used in connection with the burnt offerings. First time it's used is in Genesis 8, verse 21. There we read that after the waters of the flood had receded from the earth, that Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took, it says, of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And then we read this. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. The idea is that God takes pleasure in the sacrifices of his people. Especially when they're offered in the right way and in the right spirit. Now, interestingly, this same language is used in the New Testament to describe the sacrifice of Christ. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul exhorts the Ephesians to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, when Paul says that the sacrifice of Christ was a sweet-smelling aroma, he means that it was well-pleasing to God. Now, Paul takes this language and he applies it to the gift of the Philippians. He says that their gift was like a sacrifice. And just as God was well-pleased with the sacrifices of his people in the Old Testament, so he was well-pleased with their gift to the Apostle Paul. It was to him like a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, what made their gift so pleasing to God? Well, it was certainly not the amount. God doesn't care so much about how much we give. What he cares about is how much our gift costs us. You may remember the account of the widow in the temple. One day, Jesus and the disciples were standing by the treasury of the temple in Jerusalem, and they watched as the wealthy, with great fanfare, gave great sums of money for the upkeep of the temple. And then came a widow woman who gave her last penny. Seeing this, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. According to the Lord Jesus, what made this woman's gift so special was not the amount, but the fact that she gave everything that she had. Now, does God require us to give away everything that we have? No, of course not. The Bible nowhere teaches that. But it does teach that we should give as much as we can. And that was certainly true for the Philippians. What they gave to Paul was not very much, as we've seen but it was all they had. And such gifts are a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God.
But God was well pleased with their gift for another reason. It's because they gave it with all their heart, out of love for Paul and ultimately love for God. And this is exactly how God wants us to give. Paul explains this more fully in 2 Corinthians 9, the verses 5 through 7. There, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to finish taking up their collection for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And as they do so, he instructs them as to how they should give. First of all, he says, they must give as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. In other words, they must give not because they have to, but because they want to. Secondly, he says they should give as much as they can, knowing that those who do will receive a rich reward. Paul says, but this I say, who he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Thirdly, he says they should give voluntarily. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. And finally, they should give cheerfully, joyfully, out of love and gratitude to God. Paul says, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this is why the Philippians' gift was so acceptable to God. This is why it was a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It was so acceptable, it was so pleasing, because the Philippians gave with the right attitude, out of love for, for Paul, and ultimately for God who sent him. Now, my friends, is that how you give for the cause of the Lord? What's your attitude when the deacons come by with a collection bag? Or when you get a phone call, the church needs money for this or that cause? How do you respond to that? Do you give willingly, gladly, joyfully? And if not, why not? Has he not done so much for you? It's interesting that one of the incentives that Paul provides to encourage the Corinthians to give is the sacrifice of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, see how much Christ sacrificed for you. He left the glories and the riches of heaven to come to this earth. He exchanged his riches for poverty so that we who are poor might become rich. Now, if that's the case, should you not give as much as you can back to him? The answer, of course, is obvious. Yes, we should, and much more besides. My friends, if that's true, then let's do that then. Let's give generously. Let's give cheerfully for the Lord's cause and his church, for he is most worthy. Now, maybe somebody says, but I don't have an awful lot. I'm starting a business and a family. I have to start putting money away for Christian school. I'm on a fixed income. There just isn't a lot left over at the end of the month for anything else. How then can I give abundantly for the work of the Lord? Well, no doubt some of the members of the church at Philippi shared the same struggles, and Paul knew this. And that's why he ends his thank you note with a comforting promise. And that brings us to our third and final point. Paul was very thankful for the Philippians' gift, as he himself indicated. But he was also aware that what they gave cost them a lot. And that's because, as we've already seen, the Philippians were not very wealthy. We know that because of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2-4. to There Paul asked the Gentile churches to take up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem, and many of them did. And foremost among them were the churches in Macedonia, where Philippi was located. Concerning these churches, Paul writes that in a great trial of affliction, 
the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness, he says, that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's clear here that the Philippians gave more than they could really afford. And they probably did this, did so on this occasion as well. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He knew this. And he also knew that some of them might be worried as to how they would be able to make ends meet. And so what does he do? He provides them with this precious promise. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now there's a direct connection between this verse and the verse that precedes it, indicated by the word and here. Having declared that he had all and was full, Paul goes on to assure the Philippians that God would provide for them in all of their needs. You notice the language that Paul uses here. He says, my God. That highlights the personal relationship that Paul had with God. The God to which he was referring was not some distant higher power, but a God with whom he has a personal living relationship. A God who was provided for him. A God who was a father to him. Who sustained him. Who protected him from the moment he encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus until the present day. This is the God. The God whom he knew so well. The God who was his constant faithful companion all these years. This is the God who will supply the Philippians in all their need. Yes, he says, shall supply. The Greek is in the future tense. And the sense is not that someday God will supply all their needs, but rather that God most certainly will do so. And then he speaks too here of all your need. Notice he doesn't say not all your greed, but all your need. So contrary to the health and wealth preachers of today, God nowhere promises to make his people materially rich. In fact, sometimes the Lord reduces his people to great poverty, as he did in the case of Job. But he does promise to meet their basic needs. Doesn't Jesus teach that on the Sermon on the Mount? There our Lord exhorted his hearers not to be overly concerned about material things. He points them to the grass of the field and the birds of the air. He says that the grass doesn't sow, nor does it spin And the birds of the air, they don't don't harvest into barns. And yet God clothes the grass and feeds the birds. And if God clothes the grass of the field and feeds the birds of the air, will he not much more feed and clothe us? Of course he will. Since that's true, we should not worry. God will provide. Now Paul says basically the same thing here in our text. Following this, Paul goes on to provide what one commentator calls three heart-lifting prepositional phrases. First of all, he says, God will supply all their needs according to his riches. Now think of that. God is fabulously rich. He is richer than anyone on earth. And that's because the entire world belongs to him. All the silver, all the gold, and the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says. Now since that is so, we have no need to worry, do we? God has plenty to go around. Secondly, 
He says God will supply all their needs according to his riches in glory. Now, Paul here could be saying that the Philippians' needs will be met in the life to come, which will be a life of glory. But that doesn't seem likely, since Paul is concerned to provide them comfort in the here and now, not for the future, but now, in this life. The phrase here can also be translated, therefore, as glorious riches. The point is, God will supply them with riches that are glorious, far more glorious than anything that this world has to offer. Thirdly, Paul says God will supply their needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here Paul is telling us that these riches come to us by Christ. He is the mediator of God's riches, the one through whom all of our needs will be met. So putting this all together, what is Paul saying? Well, let's be clear what he's not saying. He's not saying, since you gave something to God, he is now obligated to give you something back. And therefore, the more you give, the more you'll get in return. That's the line that many televangelists use today, but it is utterly false. God does not owe any man anything. Rather, as one commentator says, and I quote, Paul argues that as the Philippians sacrificially give For the advancement of the gospel, they will experience far greater riches, God's own riches in the fullest revelation of his glory, Jesus Christ. It's like Paul is saying, I can never repay you for your kindness toward me, but God will. As they partner with Paul in financial giving, they will find their experience of Jesus Christ deepen as they find greater joy in Christ than in the riches of of this world. Then, my friends, the same is true for us. And therefore, do not worry. Give generously to the work of the Lord, and he will supply you in all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul ends his thank you note with these words, verse 20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul here gives glory to God. For what? for everything, for bringing the Philippians into a saving relationship with himself and instilling within them a desire to come to his aid, for giving them generous hearts, for giving Epaphroditus traveling mercies so that he could arrive in Rome safely and deliver this gift. But most of all, he glorified God for his love and mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, through whom all of these blessings flowed. Well, dear friends, let this be our response as well. As we consider all that the Lord has done for us, not least of which is the gift of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the wonderful salvation that we have in him, let us also say with the Apostle Paul, now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. And let our final word be now and to all eternity. Amen for he is most worthy. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. 
If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.